G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. You saw me as this broken vase, and you stuck me in the corner of the room, and you kicked me when you went past, you abused me, you treated me like rubbish. And then one day you picked me up and looked at me and said, you know what, I don't want you, but nobody else is going to have you. And you opened your hands and you dropped me. And I shattered into a thousand pieces. But God got down on his knees and he picked up every single piece. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Zena Skembri was born in Cyprus and raised in the UK. When she was 18 years old, she thought she met the man of her dreams. However, those dreams turned out to be a nightmare when he went on to become a controlling, manipulative and abusive person. Zena has written about her experiences in her book, Broken to be Beautiful, The Forging of a Warrior, and she'll share her story with us today. But before we get started, I just want to let parents know that due to the adult themes that will be discussed, today's program is not appropriate for young listeners. Also, to be quite frank, today's story is hard for anyone to listen to because it's so hard to imagine that anyone could treat another person in such a degrading and dehumanising manner. Unfortunately, Zena's story of domestic abuse and violence is all too common in today's society. And the only way that this type of evil can persist is if we are unaware of what's happening behind closed doors. Zena's desire is that by sharing her story, she can help prevent others from falling into this same trap. Zena Skembri is chatting with Eric Scatterbo. Zena Skembri, welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. How are you? Very good. Glad to have you with us. And let's start right at Thank the very you. beginning. You were born in Cyprus? I was, yes. My father was in the RAF over the Royal Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he and my mom got married, they went to live over there in a place called Akateri. And I was born in a town or a hospital at Decalia. And um, I was there for 18 months until he beat my mom up so mm. badly she ended up in hospital. And she got out of hospital, packed up everything and left to return to her parents. She wasn't having any of it. And so it wasn't until months later she actually discovered he'd had a nervous breakdown and a whole lot of things went on. But they couldn't actually rectify their relationship. So then I moved to Western Supermare in southwest England. And that's where I grew up. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the general impression, obviously, things are starting off pretty rocky right from the start. Yes, it was. So you grew up kind of having that feeling of being abandoned by your father? I did very much so. My mom got remarried when I was three and he adopted me when I was four. And I had grew up with this whole feeling that I wasn't good enough for my real father to love. Mm. And my adopted father, he was very aloof. He was very kind of distant. He actually didn't have a get very good father, so he didn't know how to father himself. Mm. And so the cycle goes on, right? And I just felt I wasn't good enough for my real father to love. I wasn't good enough for my adoptive father to love. And here I was, you know, just mm. bumbling along in life, feeling just not worthy, not good enough. And of course, 
you were so young, you didn't have any idea what was going on, that he had a nervous breakdown no. and all that, but you somehow internalized that you weren't good enough. Yeah, that was definitely my underlying force in my life, was whatever I did, I had to make sure I was good enough. Mm-hmm. And faith was a part of your life growing up? Yeah, whilst my mom was in Cyprus, uh, my grandfather became a Christian and he became an apostolic minister. And when mom came home, whilst he was going through this whole process, we actually lived in his house for the first, or I lived in it for the first five years of my life. And so I was entrenched in the gospel. I was entrenched in Christianity. I grew up in an Assemblies of God church. Mm -hmm. And then my grandfather went off to be an apostolic minister. And so I gave my life to the Lord at six. Mm -hmm. I made that choice then. And then I was baptized when I was 13. I chose to be baptized. And, you know, I had an encounter with Jesus at that time. Mm -hmm. And I know it. And it was that that grounded me through everything that went on. I Mm -hmm. always knew God was good and he was always for me. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter what went on. That was a foundational point in my life that I knew because I knew because I knew that God was there and he was for me. And it was literally a foundational thing. And it was literally weeks after this. You know, the enemy is good, isn't he? And mm. he knows that he he knows things and he, he sees things that are going to happen. You know, he can't tell the future, obviously, but mm. he can get a sense. And I was so passionate for God and he wanted to get that right in the bud, you know. So my um, family friend sexually abused me. Mm. So and, sorry to hear um, that. You know, I grew up in a time, or at least my family taught me that if an adult said jump, you jump and you don't ask questions. Mm. You just comply. And I learned to comply. And I can remember, in fact, it was recently, somebody messaged me through a blog and, and she said, you know what, do you think that tickling is abuse? And I, at first I was like, no, I don't think it's abusive. And then I remembered my dad used to tickle me my adopted dad he used to tickle me and I used to say no I hated it and I'd say no 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 but he'd tickle me till I cried Hmm. I never learned any body consent I never learned any boundaries I never learned anything but to comply and then when this man we used to call him an uncle he was part of the church he was part of my life when he sexually abused me I just learned to comply Hmm. and then for the next 22 plus years I learned to comply with men because, first of all, I never felt good enough and all of a sudden they were giving me attention mm-hmm. and I was getting a form of love that I wasn't getting at home. I wasn't being validated at home. So I was getting that. Then on top of that, I was just too scared. I just knew an adult says jump, I have to jump. Mm. And the only question I ask is how high, you know? And so my whole teenage years, I went from one abusive relationship to another. I was sexually abused by a few older men and it just went on and on. And so when Mm. I met my husband, who was a guy in the church, I thought he was a good guy, Mm -hmm. you know? There were red flags. Now looking back at them, I can see the red flags. Mm -hmm. So at first he kind of swept you off your feet so to speak. Oh, yeah. The term now is love bombing. It means that he would literally give me everything. He would turn up with flowers. He'd do anything that he thought I would want. You know, he spoke the right words. He he did the right Hmm. things. He threw it all on me. Really turning on the charm. 
oh my goodness, the amount of presents I would get, you know, there was no expense spared, he would just... Oh, and for you kind of having a low self-image, this was like too good oh, to be true. It really was. So when he asked me to marry him, I was like, oh, I've got it all going, yeah. you know. A dream come true. Exactly right. And my mom was controlling. She was a very controlling person. So you were kind of used to that. I was used to being controlled. When he said things like, oh, you know what, you look awesome in that. But, you know, if you just wore this kind of outfit or this kind of outfit, you would look even better. You know, I wouldn't think anything of it because that's exactly what my mom would do. But it just sounds like an innocent suggestion at first. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. And but now what happens if you say, no, I won't change? Yeah, well, that's the problem. And mm -hmm. I never knew because I didn't want to. Oh, because you were always complying. I always complied. Mm. So I never questioned. And so I went from a controlling mom to a controlling husband. Mm -hmm. And it was very shortly after we got married, I recognized that his funny, quirky behaviors was absolutely destructive and they were destroying in every single way. And I couldn't get out. I had mm. to be a good Christian girl and stay married. I've married this man now. That's it. In my head, that mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had a choice. Can you give us an example of, besides the whole uh, talking about what clothes you wear, do you have another example of kind of how he was controlling and manipulative? Through the 15 years of marriage, oh my goodness, it started off with the little things uh, like, oh, I like your hair like this. But then it was, I wasn't ever allowed to cut my hair, or then I wasn't allowed to dye my hair, and I wasn't allowed to do this. If I ever wanted to change the style, oh, the questions I would get about why I would want to change my hairstyle, or, you know, and most of the times you'd say no, and I couldn't do it. And it was very, very, you know, you'd look in and you'd think, oh my gosh, it's just a bit of fun, you know. But actually, it was very destructive, and... Um, Going through the years, I can see how manipulative he became with the simple things all the way through to the bigger things. And he would tell me how to shower. He would tell me that this is the way you do it and you do not do it any other way. He was in control wow. of every single area of my life. And you were dependent on him as well. I was, I was so dependent on him and I was in fear of him. If I didn't do what he wanted, I was terrified of what he would do to me. You're listening to The Story. Today, our guest is Zena Skembri, who's sharing about the domestic abuse and violence she experienced, which she has written a book about called Broken to be Beautiful, The Forging of a Warrior. We'll have more of Zena's story when we return. The Story... If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, once again, I want to remind you that we're dealing with a very heavy topic, domestic abuse and violence, and that some of what we're hearing can be difficult to listen to. Our guest is Zena Skembri, who's written about her experiences in her book, 
Broken to be Beautiful, The Forging of a Warrior. Before the break, we heard how Zena went from thinking she met the man of her dreams to discovering that her life had become a nightmare and she was being controlled and manipulated on a daily basis. Now, we'll find out what happened next in her life. Did he hit you? He had stunned. It wasn't mainly the hitting, though. I mean, he did occasionally. He would do a few things like that. But it was more the control, the manipulation, the sulking and the verbal abuse that he would give me. It was just horrific. It sounds like you'd have to kind of live walking on eggshells, not wanting to set off his temper. Is that a fair thing to say? All the time. He went away a lot with his work and I loved it. And it was the only time I could be free enough to be anything. You know, if I wanted to go and see my mum, I could just catch a bus and go and see Mm. my mum. I wasn't allowed to drive. I was too stupid to learn to drive, apparently. And so I didn't learn to drive. So he's uh, verbally abusing you and putting you down? Oh, all the time, yeah. Mm. And so when he was away a lot with his job, then that was when I could go do something. And I actually started smoking and drinking quite a lot. He always had alcohol in the house. And mm-hmm. and so I learned to become reliant on drink and smoking. And um, as the time went on, the alcohol abuse became worse. And I'd have some alcohol like eight o'clock in the morning just so I could get through the day. So this was kind of your coping mechanism, the smoking and drinking. It really was. Obviously, your faith had dwindled to virtually nothing at this point. Yeah, my faith, he got jealous of God. So very shortly after we got married, he stopped going to church. Yeah, because you met at church originally, is that right? Pretty much, yes. I met through a relation who went to church with him. And so we met and we go to church together for years. And yeah, so we met through church. But he was very good at putting on the right words to say. Sounds like the proverbial wolf in sheep's clothing. Absolutely, yeah. My grandfather was actually the only person who questioned his faith. Mm. Nobody else did. He got a sense that there was something not right with him. He couldn't put his finger on it. And um, I did not agree with my grandfather, obviously, which is why I ended up marrying him. But he did definitely question his faith and he was a bit worried about my faith because of it. We still went to church for the first few years on and off. Mm. Then um, after my second child was born, we stopped going. And when my third and fourth child, we weren't going at all. And you mentioned earlier that he was jealous of God. Tell us about that. Oh, look, if he saw me praying or he saw me reading the Bible or anything, he would grab my attention because I was giving something else my attention. And he would say to me things like, what happens if God called you to do something? And I'd say, I'd do it. And he said, even if it was against me, I said, yes. And um, Oh, he didn't like that. Oh, my gosh. No, he did not. And he got so jealous of God. I wasn't even allowed to bring him up in our conversations. I couldn't talk about him. He did not want anything to do with any of it. It was so crazy. And he was having affairs as well? He had 15 affairs in 15 years that I know of, with people who have come forward since I left him. So the whole going to church, that was just all an act that he did? I believe so. I mean, I don't know the condition of his heart, but yes. But obviously at home, he didn't have anything to do with God at that point. No. And he didn't want you to have anything to do with God either. Absolutely not, no. Okay, so this gradually got worse and worse. Take us to your lowest point, living with him. 
I think it was on his 15th affair. He would bring her home to our house, um, expect me to cook for her. If I didn't, if I didn't make her feel welcome, then my life was not worth living. He would just be awful. Um, Would he go into a rage? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, it was awful. But it would be just the sadistic way of his talking. It just got worse and worse Mm. and worse. And um, on our 15th wedding anniversary, he decided he was taking his girlfriend away. He actually told me he was going away with work, and it wasn't until afterwards I found out that he was actually going away with his girlfriend. And um, so he'd taken me out for dinner, and I actually told him I didn't want to go, I just wanted to stay at home. But he caused such a fuss that I ended up going out for dinner with him. And he bought me this new wedding ring. By this stage, we were arguing a bit. Um, At this dinner, he presented me with a wedding ring, a new wedding ring. And he said, I just want you to know that you will always be my wife. And I don't care what you think. I don't care what you are expecting. As we were arguing a lot, he said, but you will always be my wife. And that's never going to change. And meanwhile, he's having girlfriends on the side. Yeah, it was all about power and control. Hmm. It wasn't that he loved me or anything. It was all about power and control. Hmm. And so I was like devastated and Hmm. I didn't know what to do. He went off with his girlfriend and all I wanted to do was die. Hmm. Then I had this picture of my daughter finding me. And so I thought, okay, I cannot do this to my children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my plan was to give them the best weekend that I could give them. And then on the Sunday night... My ex-husband's going to come back home and in the morning he can find me. Hmm. And um, that was my plan. You just couldn't take it anymore. I just could not take it anymore. But you know what? God is so good. He is so incredible. We went out the next day and had some fun with the kids. We went to parks. We had barbecue with some friends. I just did some fun things with them. Hmm. And then that evening I went to bed and... I woke up with this tune going through my head. I couldn't think of the words at first, but the tune was one line that was being played over and over again, and it was getting louder each time. And I was like, okay, what's these words? And all of a sudden I was like, God, what's these words? It was like I hadn't thought about asking Mm -hmm. God what the words were before. And I was like, God, what's these words? And immediately the words came to, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. It was an old hymn from years ago when I was a kid. Yeah. And I burst into tears. Hmm. I was like, I actually cannot take my life. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was just my lowest point. I wrote a letter to God explaining why I wasn't good enough to live. And that I couldn't love my husband the way he wanted me to love him anymore. I cannot do this anymore. I can't cope with him bringing his girlfriend back home anymore. And I hated my life. And I just wrote this whole list of things that I hated about my life and and how I wasn't good enough and I wasn't why I wasn't good enough to survive anymore. And at the end, I said, if you want this to change, God, I surrender and I want you to change it. Mm. And I literally surrendered everything. And I actually found that piece of paper recently, actually, that I wrote it on. And um, I just put it away. And I was so upset and I was crying because I I could see no end. Because in my head, I was going to be his wife for the rest of eternity. and, Mm. And I hated it. The fact there was no way of getting out of this. Anyway, I went to bed, Monday morning came, and um, 
I got the kids ready for school and he was getting ready for work. And just as he walked out the door, he said to me, Zena, I want to talk to you tonight when I get home. I was in fear all day because when he said that, that doesn't mean he had something to have a go at me about or mm. he was going to hurt me in some way or anything. And it was the longest day of my life. I was terrified the whole day. When we eventually did get to talk, he said, I think it's time to split up. He said, what I want is I want this house, your house, to be an extension of my house. So it's not that we're splitting up. We just can't live in the same house together. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I took that as a win, even though realistically in his head, he was going to have two houses. So he could treat me as his wife in my house. And then he's got our house that he could bring his only girlfriend back he wanted to. And he's got his own life here. Oh, so he wants to have the wife, but then also the girlfriend on the side. And he could do it if I moved out of the house. Hmm. But I took that as a win because Mm -hmm. I thought once I'm out of the house, I could start doing something. The fact of the matter is that weekend I'd come to a conclusion. I was either going to die at my hands, I was going to die at his hands, or... I would leave him. That's if I stayed in the relationship. And if I left him, he might try and kill me. But at least I would die trying to give my children a better future. And that was my conclusion. So when he came home and said, okay, let's do this. I was like, okay, God, this is my chance to get out Mm. from under his grips a little bit. There was a little bit of relief. There was a little bit of freedom Mm -hmm. for me to be able to do something. And then how did your first marriage come to an end? So when I did separate in the house, he did treat my house as a extra house in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But it was amazing because I suddenly found that I had a voice Mm -hmm. and I could say no to him. How did he react to that? Not very well. Um, There was one time, I'm not very proud of this, but he was going on and on. And you know the torture of dripping water? Mm -hmm. You You don't think dripping water would affect you and cause you much trouble? But they keep going and keep going and keep going. And he was like that with everything. And so one day, and it was my birthday, and it was just a couple of months after I left, he came to visit me on my birthday. And um, we were sitting in the garden. He was asking me to come back. And I said to him, oh, well, have you stopped seeing your girlfriend? And I knew he hadn't. So it wasn't going to be a question. I was not going to come back. And he said, no, of course I haven't. She's my best friend. And I was like, you want me to come back, but you haven't stopped seeing your girlfriend? Who is happens to be your best friend, but your wife should be your best friend? Mm -hmm. No, I'm not even thinking about it. He went on and he went on and he went on and he went on. And it was like torture, right? Mm. And this went on for hours, okay? And this is part of his abuse. He would go on. For hours and hours and hours and hours and he didn't touch me he didn't do anything like that but it was just the going on and going on eventually i got so frustrated i was sitting there with a cup of tea in my hand and i threw it at him i purposely missed but the fact that i had the guts to throw this cup of tea at him was wow huh. and i got up and just slammed the door in his face and um, we were in the garden so he just sat there and thinking Oh, he left and he went home and he sent me a text about half an hour later saying, I'm really worried about you. You've never reacted like that before. Are your hormones off? <laughs> he, he sounds very <laughs> clueless. Uh, he knew, he knew. Oh, you think it was, uh, he was just oh. kind of getting back at you. He was just trying to throw stuff at me. And, yeah. and so that's how it went on. And so I left that relationship and I was very, very broken. 
Yeah. I suppose I was a child in an adult's body or a woman without a womanhood. I had no idea what I liked, what I disliked. I didn't know the clothes I liked. Wow, it's kind of like being in a cult in a sense. Yeah. Everything's controlled. And I had no idea. I knew how to run a house, so that was fine. But for me personally, I did not know who I was. So I had to learn who I was. Mm -hmm. And I got very close to God (laughs) in this time where I just spent hours in prayer for my protection over my house. I would Mm -hmm. recite Psalm 91, you know, I've got to be in in protection. I need to have protection over me. Um, I knew that I needed to be safe. My kids needed to be safe. Mm -hmm. So the marriage eventually came to an end. Yeah. So um, whilst I was separated from him, we got a divorce. And you know what? This man controlled me so much. And I was so scared of him getting this divorce and the paperwork through and everything else. And he was not a happy bunny when he got it. And I remember the day the divorce came through. And this was God giving me my new superpower of being the warrior that I needed. I had spent hours in prayer. I knew it was coming. And God did something in me that day. And I remember him walking in my house. He stormed in my house. And he threw the decree nice eye at me. And he said, there you go. You got your divorce. But Zena, I want to tell you something. And I was like, what? And he said, oh, you know... I don't care what you do. I don't care if you get married again, but you will always be my wife. And I said, you know what? No. I just stood up and I was calm. I wasn't screaming. I wasn't shouting. I wasn't, I was just calm. And I just said, you know what? No, I am not your wife. You broke that covenant. You slept with other women. You abused me. You didn't treat me the way Christ told you to treat me like laying your life down for your wife you know and something came over me and i know it was the holy spirit and i knew that i was given this as a hey you can do this you are strong you're amazing but i looked at him and i just said you know what you knew i was broken when you married me and instead of cherishing me bringing me closer to god lifting me up looking after me you saw me as this broken vase And you stuck me in the corner of the room and you kicked me when you went past. You threw your dirty washing in me. You abused me. You treated me like rubbish. And then one day you picked me up and looked at me and said, you know what? I don't want you, but nobody else is going to have you. And you opened your hands and you dropped me. Mm. And I shattered into a thousand pieces. But God got down on his knees and he cried over that broken vase. And he picked up every single piece and he put it back together. And what I actually said to him is was through his tears, he put me back together. God reminded me of this story a few years ago. And he said, Zena, I did not put you back together with my tears. I put you back together with my blood. And it's my blood that has life in it. It's my blood that I put you back together with. And I remember saying that to him and I stood up and he was so gobsmacked. He didn't know what to say. I gathered up all the pieces of paper that he'd thrown on the floor and I handed it to him and he stormed out the house. And he just had no idea. He was just gobsmacked. But he knew at that moment something had changed. Something Mm. had changed in me. Something had changed in every way. There was a spiritual change that had happened Mm. and he knew. Okay, that was part one of our conversation with Zena Skembri, author of the book Broken to be Beautiful, The Forging of a Warrior. You can learn more about Zena and her book at her website, Zena Skembri.com. 
xenaskembri.com. That's Xena, X-E-N-I-A, Skembri, S-C-H-E-M-B-R-I.com. As we've heard today, Zena was in a highly dysfunctional relationship with a controlling and manipulative person. And to be quite honest, what she went through sounds quite horrific. However, God helps Zena overcome all this, and she goes on to become a warrior for causes she's passionate about. So there is a happy ending, but if you're listening today and can relate to anything you heard and you need help right now, you can call Lifeline's crisis support number 24 hours a day. The number is 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. Also, if you need someone to pray with, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We'd love to pray for you on that number, 1-800-772-936. Next time, we're going to do something a little bit different. We've invited Zena's friend, Dr. Dina McMillan, to join us. She's a social psychologist who specialises in domestic abuse and violence and will provide further insights into Zena's story. That's all coming up next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.